You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is the Yanks Go Yard Podcast with Adam Weinrib and Thomas Carinante. Welcome into a Monday edition of the Yanks Go Yard Podcast. I'm Adam Weinrib alongside Thomas Carinante. Well, not today. Today I'm rolling solo, but we've got so much to talk about. The New York Yankees just reeled off the most eventful four-game split you'll ever see. Uh, They won two of the four games from the Houston Astros this weekend. They did not lead for one minute of any of those games. They haven't been taking the first lead lately. That's been a trend, and they didn't do it in any of these four contests, yet they stormed back to win on Thursday night to set the tone for the series. We thought, then it turned out they didn't exactly set the tone. They couldn't hit a lick on Friday or Saturday, but then they stormed back once again on Sunday late in another game where they were being no hit to the point where you had to start thinking about back-to-back no-hitters because, oh yeah, the Yankees did get combo no-hit on Saturday. Uh, This series, I tweeted before it started on Sunday, before the action on Sunday, uh, that if the Yankees ended up splitting this, we would all look back on it and say, that four-game series in the middle of June had everything. And if the Yankees lost on Sunday, you would start to hear some funky discourse that you did not really want to hear. Would it have been legitimate? Who am I to say? Probably not. The Yankees would have still been 52-21 and 21 had they lost three out of four in that series. But you would have heard a ton of they can't beat the Astros because they would have just not beaten the Astros. It's that simple. That's what would have just unfolded. So you can't really blame people for saying the team that knocked you out in 2015, 2017, and 2019 still has your number, even though the Yankees have acquitted themselves pretty well against the Astros in the regular season over the last several years. But it's the postseason where the problems are, of course, you still would have heard that a lot had the Yankees not pulled out two of these four, and they pulled out two of these four at the literal last minute. We'll dive into the specifics in a little bit. Also, the Yankees have a shortstop problem coming out of this series if they didn't have one already. Isaiah Kiner-Falefa might have hurt his finger on the bunt that ultimately got the winning run home on Sunday, and Glaber Torres ended the bottom of the ninth inning by falling and and twisting his ankle and and hitting the ground between third and home. Uh, It was a terrifying moment. No one knew exactly what had happened to Glaber's ankle. It turns out it may have just been a, a, you know, a tweak. He might be okay, but, but that being said, you're going to want to give him some time off. So we're going to talk about the options the Yankees have there as well as power ranking their trade deadline needs for you because they dropped into some interesting bidding over the weekend and found themselves in a rumor that I don't think most of us would have expected. They would have been in just a couple of weeks ago. And then just for fun, the Yankees walked off, of course, Thursday 
and Sunday, it was a joy to watch, and that makes 10 on the year. For reference, the 2009 World Series champions, the year of the walk-off, they walked off 15 times during the regular season and twice more in the playoffs. The 2022 Yankees have already reached 10, and it's Monday, June 27th, 40 home games, 10 walk-offs. You can only win walk-offs at home, so that is a stunning ratio. Make sure to find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Drop us a five-star review there. Drop us a mailbag question in your review if you got something you want us to answer. Happy to take you through it. Happy to give you our take. Uh, the trade deadline stuff, by the way, it's not too soon. Uh, unlike anything uh, we've seen in past years, a lot of teams are going to be making early moves, jumping the gun here to really get uh, you know tax benefits and, and not pay full salaries and, and shed some early salary if they know they're bad. And between the intro to this podcast and now, the Seattle Mariners have already acquired Carlos Santana from the Royals. That just happened. According to Robert Murray, fans had its own MLB insider. Wyatt Mills and William Fleming, two prospect pitchers, the only return. Carlos Santana has been genuinely not good for a very long time now. I don't think the Royals are going to regret getting rid of him. Probably should have done it sooner. But the Royals are open for business, right? Andrew Benintendi's on the Royals. That's the guy the Yankees want. Taylor Clark, some of the Royals' bullpen arms could really help. The Yankees might need to get moving there sooner rather than later. Obviously, we will talk all about that. Let us start off, though, by just talking about the Yankees splitting with the Strohs over the weekend. Again, I think nothing – It would. there's no must-wins even at this point in the season, even against the Astros, even going to Fenway Park in a couple weeks. It, losses sting. Bad losses feel bad. But for a team that is 53-20 and 20 now – after polishing off the Astros and has had to deal with the Red Sox going 31 and 12 since their rough start. And I believe gaining one game maximum on the Yankees. The Yankees just finished off their crazy hard stretch nine and four uh, Tampa at home at Tampa at Toronto and four at home against Houston nine and four ain't bad at all. I think a lot of us were optimistic and we expected eight and five. This Yankee team is really good. So it really doesn't take a lot to say I expect to win no matter who we're playing. <clears throat> but nine and four. I mean, that's, that's huge. Uh, the Red Sox schedule is about to go to varsity too. We just got the varsity. They've been on junior varsity for a month. Now they're going to Toronto. They're going to Cleveland. They just swept them, I guess, but we're going to Cleveland in a bit. Uh, they're going to Tampa. They get Tampa at home. They get us, they get us home and road. You know, they get all these AL East teams that we've already played all the time. They get the Orioles who are you know almost a 500 team. Uh, the Astros were not a be-all, end-all for the Yankees this weekend. They were not a, a must-win. You don't want to get swept. But again, the only power these games hold is to frustrate you. That These aren't going to dictate the end-of-season standings. Uh, you're going to have plenty of time left to fend off the Astros in that race for the top spot if you don't make your voices heard this series. But that being said, it's certainly a measuring stick. You know, the Astros are throwing, uh, you know, there are no injuries here. You aren't running into rotation fill-ins or anything like that. You're getting Verlander Friday night at the stadium. You are getting uh, Jose or Keedy in the, in the finale is the only one where you're like, well, that could have been upgraded, obviously. But Framber Valdez in the opener, he's the second best they have behind Verlander. Saturday game, Christian Javier, I don't think anybody's discounting him after watching that game. Again, no hitter. He no-hit the Yankees. Joey Gallo was the only one close to getting hit in that game. He almost hit a three-run home run that that won the game, that, that might have won the game against Hector Neris. It was never really close to getting out. It was like five or ten feet short. Weird, because it looked like he got it off the bat. But they barely threatened outside of that Gallo shot. 
I mean, there's nothing really to dwell on here. The, the 2018 Red Sox got no hit by Sean Manaya. These no-hitter stats are crazy. The Yankees went 16 innings without a hit in this series, and it, it took all the way until the Giancarlo Stanton blast in the seventh inning of the Sunday finale for them to – it was the eighth inning of Friday to the seventh inning of Sunday. They didn't get a hit. The 16-inning mark, the teams in the modern era that have hit 16 hitless innings in a row, the 73 A's – who won the World Series, and the 81 Dodgers, who won the World Series. Now, that's an unbelievable quirk. It's not a guarantee of anything. It's something that people who don't like the Yankees do not want to hear, but it's true. So it doesn't mean much in the long run that the Yankees got combined no-hit by the Houston Astros. They got combined no-hit by the Houston Astros in 2003, too. Went to the World Series that year. It was certainly frustrating, and when it looked like they might go back-to-back, that is the point where your frustration seeps in. You start to go cabin fever crazy. You're like, is it even possible to get a hit? It's not, right? They're not doing it. So, you know, this surely must be an impossible feat. Yankees punch back in a major way on Sunday. It cannot be overstated that they won two of the four games in this series. They got outdueled by Verlander. They got no hit by Christian Javier and co. They won Framber and Jameson Tyone, a game in which Tyone got smacked around a little bit, but ended up covering over five innings. What, what do we keep saying? When the Yankees pitchers get hit early, they don't leave. Jordan Montgomery did it in the game Trevino won in Tampa. They get hit around early, and they don't leave. And they stick around, and they soak up innings, and they give you a great chance to win a game. The Yankees, how often are the Yankees out of games? They weren't out of the game where they got no hit on Saturday. And that's not great for your bullpen because it means the, the high-leverage guys like Holmes and King go all the time, and it means the second-tier high-leverage guys – like Castro and Peralta go all the time because you can't use Holmes and King every day. Need Loisaga back. Honestly, need to roll this Chapman back too. But the Yankees are never out of a game. And so at some point, the day will come when Aaron Boone does have to punt a game with lower tier bullpen options and hope they hold up just because you, you can't throw these guys every day. The Yankees don't lead in this series for even one inning. One, the, one half inning Two batters they don't lead for. The only times they lead in this entire series are at the final whistle on Thursday and Sunday. When Aaron Judge's rip down the left field line gives them a 7-6 lead. And when Aaron Judge's home run to the left center bullpen gives them a 6-3 victory on Sunday afternoon. They did not lead during regulation or extra innings of any of those games. They only led when they were given the win in the win column. And they count just the same. I will caution you all that I think the bigger factor here, uh, other than uh, the Astros sort of calcifying some of the Yankees deadline needs, uh, this lineup, you know, you can you can cross your fingers and hope for gumption and stuff. But this lineup didn't get it done during the vast majority of Thursday and Sunday and at all on Friday and Saturday. So there are upgrades there that need to be made. We're going to be ranking those in a little bit. I think it's very important that this week. So the Yankees come away with a lot of wins. That's what good teams do. They they lose that game on Sunday to Toronto, the first loss in this stretch. They go to Tampa, take two out of three. They go home and and take two out of four from Houston. The last time they got the first lead in a game was Monday, the opener in Tampa. It was a 2 nothing lead. They blew, and then they got the win anyway. The next two games there and the six games against Houston, they don't strike first in any of those six. That's not good. The other thing is they're a good team. Sometimes they're going to get breaks. Sometimes they're going to earn breaks by just being more talented. They have the best DRA. They have an incredible offense. They got really lucky this week. 
They go four and four, and it took four miracles, right? And the first game, it's just a 2-2 game, and they deliver a counterpunch. That's a great job and a great job of a late-inning victory. Uh, the second Tampa game, they win. They fight all the way back from three runs down. Trevino delivers a huge two-run homer. A lot of big hits in that game to get them to the place where they're taking home the victory. And obviously, the two games in the Astros series, it's not like those were – you can't draw a wire-to-wire victory in any of those games. The Yankees took uh, – absolutely stole two games from the Astros in this series. Reminiscent of when the Astros took that game, uh, the finale in Houston last year when the Yankees were up 7-2 in the ninth and you're starting to get greedy and you're thinking about sweeping that series. And all of a sudden, right before the all-star break, here comes Jose Altuve and Chaz McCormick and Jason Castro and all those guys, Domingo Herman and Chad Green can't get it out. Yankees stole two back. They got revenge this year. And, and obviously I'd rather have revenge this year than last year, considering how little we believed in last year's team and how impressively special this year's team has been. Like Michael K said though, from no hitter to no way is this happening again. His walk-off call Sunday disbelief was a totally fair emotion both on Sunday and on Thursday and throughout the week as a whole. And so the Yankees won a lot of games this week through unsustainable measures and metrics. And that's why there are still areas to improve upon. You celebrate the wins. Oh, you better celebrate the wins. The Boston Red Sox did this all last year. They stole a game. You led for nothing and you were no hitting them. They took that one back from you. Two outs in the ninth, Chad Green gave up a two-run double. They took that one back from you. Brooks Krisky ends up on the mound. Special seasons are going to involve many of these types of games. Not going to pretend otherwise. It's the true Mets fans among us who are like, Yanks are getting lucky here. They're just walking off. They're only winning games in spectacular fashion against melting down bullpens. They're causing the bullpen meltdowns. I mean, they have agency here. They're hitting the pitchers who were entering the baseball game. Ryan Stanek looked disgusting. They hit him. Phil Maton destroyed the Yankees the first time he faced him in this series. They hit him on Sunday. Only took two views to time him up. Seth Martinez was one of the uh, guys who'd pile up the most scoreless innings. You know, had one of the most active streaks of scoreless innings in baseball. He got tattooed by Aaron Judge in the shadows on Sunday. The Yankees went out and took two of these. But their weaknesses were exposed a little bit by the Astros and by the Rays pitching staff. Things were not so peachy this week. The Yankees were uh, both very skilled and very lucky in getting out of this stretch the way that they did. They started off 5-0. and They ended it 9-4. and But that 4-4 and stretch at the back end, they did an incredible job holding serve there because that could have gotten much uglier. But it didn't. And the Yankees are set up at 53-20 and with some problems to solve but they're solvable. There's a path to solving all of them. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And so you rank this team's needs. Um, I want to talk first about shortstop because we do have uh, a question now with Isaiah Kiner-Falefa struggling. People have enjoyed watching him. People have enjoyed what he means to this team and him being maybe the last piece of the puzzle and a contact bat and something very different 
from what the rest of the lineup provides, but he has no home runs this year. He's going to be a below average offensive player until the end of the season. No matter how clutch he is, no matter how many times he puts bat on ball, no matter how many times he bunts in extra innings, he's going to be a below average offensive player all year. You can live with that. But the calls for trying out his potential replacement before October and, and turning him back into a utility man, which is what he probably deserves to be down the line and in year two of his Yankees contract, the calls were already loud. And then he maybe hurt his finger on Sunday afternoon bunting. I think that O2 bunt he got down, it, it basically hit off his finger. He bunted finger first. So you can think Isaiah Connor fell off his finger there. His defense hasn't exactly been up to stuff either. Right before Michael King worked out of that massive colossal jam, Helped on by the ghost runner. He booted a Jose Altuve ground ball that should have been an easy first out. Should have been runner on second one out. Instead, we've got guys stealing bases. We've got catchers going to third. Somehow getting picked off but not being out. That was fun. You love to turn that uh, joy into disaster. IKF is struggling and now hurt. Labor Torres' his ankle gave out on him, running between third and home. If he's your backup shortstop option, he probably shouldn't be, but he certainly is no longer if his ankle's not working. Marvin Gonzalez is not your everyday shortstop, although he's basically been a league average offensive player this year, which is kind of crazy to think about. Oswald Peraza at AAA. I know most of the focus is on Volpe at AA, and rightfully so. He's surging. We all know it. In a walk-off home run on Sunday, dramatically matching Aaron Judge's walk-off home run on Derek Jeter's birthday, by the way. Can't go a whole podcast without telling you people that. Isn't that cool? Volpe's the, the focus. He's the number one prospect on the team. He is a top 10 prospect in all of baseball. But Oswald Peraza is a top 30, top 40 guy. Thought of as more big league ready entering the season. That's why he started at AAA and Volpe was taken along slowly starting at AA. He'll probably be at AAA by end of year. Peraza maybe needs to come up now. Get some reps. Especially if, again, 53 and 20. There's a reason they're calling up JP Sears to start this week. And it's to push the starters back a little bit and lessen their workload. If IKF is hurt and struggling and Glaber Torres is hurt, don't push it. Bring up Peraza. This is your chance. It's June 27th. He's hot. And the Yankees have the kind of record where they're not going to experiment. But remember when they started all those lefties against Alec Manoa just to say, hey, if this works, we discovered something. We are hot enough that we're just going to sort of test stuff out. This is the test kitchen. They should definitely be considering doing that with Oswald Peraza right now. 233, nine homers, and a 697 OPS on the year. But a triple slash in June of 288, 351, 515, that includes two home runs on Sunday in what was ostensibly a showcase, right? Everybody knows IKF is struggling at the big league level. Everyone knows both he and Glaber are hurt on the same day. And Volpe hits the walk-off, but do not ignore what Peraza did. He's on the 40-man roster. You could call him up today. It would just take an IL stint from Torres or Kiner Falefa, both of whom could use a breather right now. Pick, I mean, I'd rather have Torres in the lineup. He's obviously a more talented offensive player, but Peraza has certainly deserved a chance with his recent play, which I don't think a lot of people noticed, but really, really clarified itself uh, this weekend, especially on Sunday. Now, Volpe, of course, has been on fire too. 297, 365, 49 triple slash. He's, he's out triple slashing Peraza, but Peraza's the one at the cusp. Don't elevate Volpe yet. But bring Peraza up for sure, especially if you've got two guys who need a breather. It's that simple. And if Isaiah Conner-Falefa's finger is fractured, then he's making the decision for you, right? We'll learn more about that on Monday. But for now, there's a ready-made excuse 
to test somebody out up there who it would be difficult for him to perform at a level that is so much worse than Kiner Falefa that it makes you question uh, your role in the universe. And if he does, then Marwin Gonzalez, pencil him in. He's been a winning ball player this year too, as weird as that sounds to say out loud. So the deadline's approaching. We're seeing rumors we never expected to see this week. People are clamoring for a shortstop. People are clamoring for catching help. I don't think those would be my first two focuses, but that didn't stop me from power ranking the team's needs at the trade deadline. As I see it, these are the realistic needs that the Yankees could pursue at the deadline and ones that they could fill, but they do have to act fast. Here's where I go. One, two, three, four. Number one, a lefty outfield bat. That is easy. That is Andrew Benintendi or Ian Happ of the Cubs. I don't know if there's another option who I really want to see there, but Joey Gallo, has played his way out of the lineup and has potentially played his way out of New York. Watch the Padres. Watch the Twins there. We're hearing a little bit. I'm not sure if Joey Gallo is going to be in this October lineup. I don't think he's going to be on the roster come August 1st. My number two need, that is a starting pitcher. And that is because if you've watched Nestor Cortez lately, you know that he's getting to a dicey place where he may be tiring. He is not a guy who has passed the 100-inning threshold in his career. And they want him in October. He is still nasty. He shut down the Astros yesterday. But you need him healthy and on the mound. Severino can't cross too much of an innings threshold. Tyone is someone who might need to get backed off. You need a starting pitcher. An elite one, I'm not sure, but you need one. Three and four, reliever, who I know the Yankees can get some relievers out of their system. And Loisaga and Chapman changed the calculation there a little bit. And then a shortstop to replace Marwin as your backup or upgrade on IKF. But I honestly think the Yankees are going to look internal there before they look external. I have reliever ranked below starter, which is surprising because obviously the Yankees do have an elite starting rotation at this point and have all year long. I'm just cognizant of the strain on Cortez, of the strain on Severino, who are these are guys that you want taking playoff starts. And Tyone is a guy who is coming off his second career Tommy John surgery, coming off ankle issues at the end of last season. If they can back off him, they will too. He's gotten hit around a little bit. And you can't, Garrett Cole's your horse, but can't count on him forever. Jordan Montgomery has been fantastic this year. He's a guy who's battled injury issues in the past too. This rotation needs to go deeper. And right now, the deepest it goes is J.P. Sears and Clark Schmidt, who's in the minors getting stretched out. I like these prospects as much as the next person, but I'm going to need an established big league talent in the starting pitching market at this year's deadline to at the very least be a six starter and soak up innings in the second half. It's no secret though. I didn't invent the starter pursuit. The Yankees were connected to Luis Castillo this week, who they've been connected to in the past. And if you want to see Frankie Montas too, he's coming into the Bronx this week. So be aware. He's, he's also there, right? He, he could rock the Yankees to sleep on Tuesday, he could struggle with his control as he's done in the past. We will have to find out uh, what he showcases the Bombers brass. But Luis Castillo, for me, is too upper echelon and is trending downwards. So he's both going to cost too much and might not deliver the production you're looking for. But he's clearly on the Yankees' radar. People who are in the prediction game were predicting Castillo to the Yankees this week. The Reds had scouts watching Will Warren make a start at Double A. Uh, Will Warren is, is one of the Yankees' sort of helium alert pitching prospects. He's very well regarded. He's not the guy you've heard about that much. He's not, obviously, Clark Schmidt 
and Luis Medina or Ken Waldachuk or Hayden Wesneski, but he's come up from high A to double A now. Uh, in his five double A starts, three and two, three point one two ERA, five and five, three point three nine on the year, sixty three Ks and sixty one innings pitched. Peter Gammons is the one who said the sides are talking here, and the Reds people were in person to watch Warren this week. Now, if all you had to do was exchange Will Warren and side pieces for Luis Castillo, you do that. I mean, Warren is promising. Castillo is already bona fide big league ready. But Warren is not going to be the centerpiece of that deal. That's going to have to be Medina or Austin Wells or Oswald Peraza or a much bigger name. There will be competition for Castillo. Uh, Jim Bowden, who, you know, say what you will about Jim Bowden's trade packages, but he said... Uh, Chad Jennings of the Red Sox beat countered, uh, you know, tried to say, you know, what would it take? Should we go if we surrender top 100 prospect Nick York and Jeter Downs, who you guys are well aware of, and a third piece? Would that be enough to get Castillo? Bowden said it's going to have to be Tristan Cassis and Brian Bello. Bello is like their Luis Medina, and Tristan Cassis is the first baseman who could be on the Red Sox roster right now. And you see the way Jer- Jaron Duran has changed their roster except in Toronto, he's unvaccinated. But you see how he's changed their roster, and Cassis could do that right away from the first base position, too. It would take you know a big league-ready guy in order to get Castillo. That is Peraza. If you're being, you know, if you're being generous, it, it honestly could be Volpe. Like, I, I don't want it to be, but if that's what Jim Bowden is thinking, the Reds are thinking, that that's sort of the equivalent. So Will Warren is not going to be your centerpiece. You'd give him up as your centerpiece, but as a third piece in a trade like this, Castillo is two and four, 3.71 ERA, 49 strikeouts and 51 innings pitch. 49 strikeouts and 51 innings pitch. This is a guy who struck out 226 batters in 190 and two thirds innings in 2019. This is a guy who led the league in walks in 2021. And so I've been interested in him as a trade target in the past because I think, you know, his value is down from its peak, right? Isn't it decreasing from those 2019 days when he was a Cy Young favorite? If it's not, then I don't want the Yankees anywhere near Luis Castillo. And congrats on the two sides for talking, but this is not a fit. The Yankees need somebody who can get them to the finish line, who can help land this plane, and who, if they're lucky, is a playoff option. They do not need an upper echelon ace type whose stuff has receded since 2019 and who will still cost the upper half of the farm. If it's Will Warren at the center, fine, but it's not going to be. Now, if the Red Sox are at the front of the line to get Luis Castillo, do you try to butt in there or do you just wish them well and say, you are taking a risk, one that we have no intention of taking? What do you do? if you're the New York Yankees in that scenario. I don't think you can get into a bidding war there. I think people are starting to notice the Yankees pitching prospects at the margins. The Will Warrens, the Juan Corella, who Bleacher Report wrote about this week, um, as their most likely deadline chip. I don't think that's true, but I do think that he's the the make or break, right? Corella had a breakout this year at Tampa. He's the kind of guy who's like the third piece who the Yankees are going to have to come to terms with whether they're surrendering him or not. He's not the centerpiece either, but he could be the linchpin, or he could be the the person who's in the situation where, like the Yankees giving Kevin Alcantara to the Cubs last year, where they said, we would like you to pay Anthony Rizzo's entire salary. And if you're going to do that, we're going to upgrade slightly this caliber of prospect we're giving you in the additional piece of the package. It could be a situation where somebody goes, we want Corella and the Yankees say, if you cover the entire salary, 
you can have him, but otherwise, no. I mean, there are going to be some salary concerns this year at the deadline, too, even if the Yankees plan on going all in. Aaron Judge settled at the midpoint of his arbitration case, $19 million on Friday. We didn't talk about that just because it does feel like – I don't want to amplify that. It's a lot of bluster over nothing. And, you know, Aaron Judge takes the Yankees to court, but then the Yankees stop the process right at the finish line and say, we will do $19 million, but we will give you an extra 250000 if you – win MVP and win World Series MVP. You get 250000 for each of those. Judge didn't seem happy, right? He said he was going to miss the game if they made him show up to court at the late date that they claimed he should. They averted disaster, but they certainly damaged their reputation with Judge further. But that, that situation, it's, it's sort of much ado about nothing. If they pay Judge what he's worth, he'll come back. If they don't, he won't. And, and he won't be thinking about the almost arbitration hearing that happened. But the little bit of money that that arbitration hearing added to Judge's 2022 salary is going to maybe be the difference between acquiring somebody at the deadline and forcing an additional piece of prospect capital in there in order to get their team to pick up the tab. Ian Happ, his salary, for example, 6.85 mil for this season. So if you get him at the halfway point, it's 3.4. If you get him a little sooner than the halfway point, which I'm sure the Cubs would rather trade him in the middle of July than after the month is over to save a little additional cash. It's going to cost you a little bit of money. If you want to make some more upgrades, it's going to cost you even more. Luis Castillo is going to be pretty costly in both terms of prospects and money. Ian Happ, though, man, how sweet would it be to watch him in the Yankees lineup? This is why they're still powering number one for me. Because you can tread water with an extra piece of the rotation. You can't afford to tread water anymore and just bank on Joey Gallo getting back to normal. And bank on Isaiah Connor falefa and Jose Trevino keeping it up all year long. Because IKF and Trevino... If Trevino is going to be clutch bat in a big spot and IKF is going to be clutch bat in a big spot who can bunt and move the runner over, you can swallow that if Aaron Hicks is on fire and if the Yankees have a left fielder who can hit. If their outfield rotation is hot Aaron Hicks, Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, additional lefty bat like Benintendi and Hap, then you can totally accept your 8-9 sots being fan favorite Trevino and IKF doing whatever he does down there. Ian Happ and Joey Gallo's spot, he's got a 134 OPS plus, 2.4 war on the year. 279, 376 OBP, 835 OPS, eight homers. He put on a show at Yankee Stadium when the Cubs were getting whomped a couple of weeks ago. If you didn't come away from that series saying half is dangerous, you were watching a different series, or you were just distracted by Matt Carpenter's mustache. But Ian Happ is the real deal. And he hits the ball harder than Andrew Benintendi. He doesn't have that AL East championship pedigree, but there was a ton to like power, patience, Everything you want out of someone who would ultimately be the seventh best hitter in the Yankees lineup and someone who has been everything Joey Gallo has not been this year. Joey Gallo, we, we can't just keep waiting around. We can't just keep waiting around. There's been so much waiting. Sometimes it works for 24 hours. Like when he's in Minnesota hitting those two homers and that comeback win. Sometimes the fairy dust rubs off on every Yankee. If, if the team is going to be this good, sometimes it's going to happen once every couple of weeks. Not nearly enough. It's been almost a year now. I said this offseason, a full season of Joey Gallo will make the difference. It has not. I don't want to let it get to a full season. And he's not someone who I want coming up off the bench in a big spot either. So even if you de-emphasize him and take him out of the lineup, how does that help the bottom line? When are you going to use him if you do that? If you take Joey Gallo out of the lineup, he's not hitting ninth anymore. You don't trust him to do that. Then he's just taking up space. I'm sorry. Those are the power ranking needs for me. Left-handed hitting outfield bat, 
starting rotation help, the better the pitcher, the better, but only at a reasonable cost. Relief help, because you do have already a roster crunch. Ron Marinaccio probably going down for a role as Chapman. Uh, Albert Abreu maybe going down. Manny Banuelos might get DFA'd. Abreu might get sliced off the roster. Jonathan Luizic is coming back. They could use another arm, but you might want to go uh, Clay Holmes shopping there. You might want to try to unlock somebody's peripherals rather than go for the big name in the bullpen. I mean, always. You don't want to overpay for the big name in the bullpen. But that's why they're number three for me. They already have enough roles to sort out there with the returning internal candidates. Ron Marinaccio stepping up. <coughs> I don't want to upend things to add another upper echelon bullpen. Like Alex Colome doesn't do it for me. Got to be measured and careful there when you're making bullpen acquisitions. That's why they're number three for me. And number four, the shortstop thing. I mean, if, if something presents itself, great. But they already made their declaration this offseason. They did not trade for Carlos. They did not sign Carlos Correa. They did not sign Trevor Story. They traded for Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. So they believe in their guys in the minor league level. If they want to try Peraza, I've already laid out why now is the time to do that. But otherwise, I don't think you're getting a big enough upgrade at shortstop. Uh, you're certainly not getting a star, a starting caliber star. So if you want to upgrade on Marwin Gonzalez, fine, but that's not going to pop it into my top three needs. One more ranking for you all. And this is fun as hell. Because the New York Yankees, the 2022 New York Yankees have 10 walk-off wins already. 10 through June 26, to this past weekend alone. Here's how I rank them. And feel free to argue with me on this. Here are the top 10 New York Yankees walk-off wins so far in 2022. Aaron Judge against the Astros on Thursday night. The double with the Aaron Hicks comeback in the number one spot. The Aaron Hicks shot bumps that up for me for sure. Number two, Aaron Judge versus the Blue Jays. Taking Jordan Romano out. Taking a division rival out. Judge proving he could do it. The losers of the world saying he doesn't have what it takes to hit a walk-off homer. Yes, he does. Number three, Judge against the Astros again. Part two. Busting up that no-hitter and giving Judge the chance to shine. I mean, come on. 6-3 win is huge there. Glaber versus Cleveland, the Miles Straw game, number four. Jose Trevino for his father against Baltimore, number five. Josh Donaldson opening day against the Red Sox, number six. Anthony Rizzo against the Rays, the walk-off homer from last week that feels like eons ago, number seven, because that was sort of a depressed offensive game and was just sort of asserting their dominance. Number eight, Glaber's homer against the Rangers, number nine, Donaldson against the Tigers, a sack fly. Come on, walk-off sack fly. Doesn't quite measure up. And Trevino against the Cubs, number 10, because you'll never see a worse game than that. Jose Trevino ended a game where both teams went over with runners in scoring position. Was it exciting? Yeah, absolutely. I love watching the Yankees keep people off the bases and, and get out of jams and wiggle out of extra inning trouble. But that doesn't save it from being one of those pitiful two-part offensive performances you'll ever see. That was the only walk-off this year that was a pure sense of relief. And Jose Trevino myth-building. But that was more a sigh rather than exaltation. In case you were wondering, the 2022 Yankees 10 walk-offs, the 2009 Yankees had 15 in the regular season and two in the playoffs. 15 in the regular season felt like the most you'll ever see. And rightfully so, because it's a ton. And there were some very memorable ones in there. Robinson Cano against the White Sox. Melky Cabrera kept coming through. He was sort of the Jose Trevino of that year. The walk-off weekend, obviously, A-Rod and Damon against the Twins. These 2022 Yankees are giving those 2009 Yankees a run for their money in terms of narrative. The the two Trevino games are so singularly memorable this year. The Miles Straw, 
you know, ruckus in the Bronx with IKF tying the game with two outs and Glaber walking off there and, and getting his mojo back. That ranks below the three judge walk-offs for me, but that was an extremely memorable moment. Josh Donaldson walking off the Red Sox on opening day is number six. It's a single up the middle, and the Donaldson shine is off a little bit, and the way we look at him now isn't the way we looked at him on opening day. If he wants to be an antagonist, he's probably got to start hitting like one, etc. But Josh Donaldson walking off the Red Sox on opening day and setting the tone for the season is my number six. I ranked it sixth. And you can rank the Anthony Rizzo above it if you want. Rizzo walking off the Rays on National Cannoli Day with a home run in a game that the Yankees should never have won on paper. Without a starting pitcher, with Ryan Weaver in the game. That's my number seven. I have six walk-offs this year I liked more than that. Josh Donaldson against the Tigers in extra innings. That long sack fly. Glaber against the Rangers on Mother's Day. These don't even crack the top seven 2022 Yankees walk-offs. And that is how you know you have a special season unfolding. The Astros are a very good team. The Boston Red Sox have been playing 700-plus baseball during their soft portion of their schedule for a month and a half now, but they're taking care of business. That's what they're doing. The Astros and Red Sox look like elite teams in the American League. The Blue Jays are struggling a little bit, but you know the talent they have. The Rays are catastrophically injured. Maybe they never get back in the playoff picture. The Guardians are very talented and were the hottest team in baseball before the Red Sox took care of them this week. That's a big sweep this weekend. Congrats to the Red Sox. God damn it. Why couldn't they have just stayed 11 and 20 all year? I don't know, but they didn't. There are teams nipping at the Yankees' heels. There are teams that believe they want the Yankees in the playoffs. Yankees fended off three challengers this week, the Rays twice, the Jays, and the Astros. The Yankees played the worst offensive series you will see them play all year against the Astros. I mean, uh, uh, truly, you can't top getting no hit once, almost getting no hit twice. There's no way the Yankees play a worse offensive series than that all year long. And yet, the dates are already in the past on the calendar, right? We already marked them off. Two of those games are Yankees wins. You're not taking those wins away. You banked them. You did your job this week. The Yankees are going to have to continue to keep doing it for the rest of the season. But if you don't think the foundation has been laid for something special this year, you are not watching this team closely. That is it. For this Monday edition of the Yanks Go Yard podcast, make sure to find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Drop us a five-star review. Drop us a mailbag question if there's something you're curious about. We will be more than happy to answer it. Until next time, I'm Adam Weinerb. You can find me on Twitter at Adam Weinerb. Thomas Carinante will be back on Thursday when we will also have a special guest. So stay tuned for that. Until then, check us out on YouTube, uh, Yanks Go Yard FS on Twitter. This content, as well as many other little snippets of content, will be up on the channel We'll be live there on Mondays and Thursdays at 2 o'clock Eastern. That's 2 o'clock Eastern. That's where you can find us later in the week with our very special guest, who I can't wait to talk to you again live on the air. Until that moment arrives, the Yankees are facing the Oakland A's. The A's are sending some real, actual, talented pitchers against the Yankees this week. Um, I wish that weren't true. That wouldn't, wouldn't it be nice if it was three absolute losers? Yeah, I'd stand and applaud. That would feel great. But instead, it's uh, Paul Blackburn who beat the Red Sox last week and has a 2.97 ERA on the bump tonight. Frankie Montas and his 3.21 mark going tomorrow. And the day game on uh, Wednesday, you've got Cole Irvin going in his 3.29 ERA. Now, he doesn't strike anybody out. 47 guys in 68 in the third innings. Blackburn also strikes out like 20 fewer guys in innings pitch. These aren't dominant starters, but 
They're certainly better than you wanted to see from the A's. They're the best the A's have to offer, and they are pretty good in general. You know, not just the ba- the best the A's have to offer, but solid major league pitchers. So the Yankees have no excuses here. They need to go in lumber up against Oakland this week. Uh, no letdown games after what you just went through, that gauntlet. And by the way, as soon as the Oakland thing ends, you got to go to Houston and play one makeup game, and then you got to go to Cleveland and play the Guardians three times. The toughest stretch of the schedule may be over, but it doesn't get that much easier. And the Yankees need to continue proving their medal day in and day out. And, oh, yeah, maybe supplement that offense a little bit. Listen to what we said and get going because, like we said, Carlos Santana already traded. Time waits for no man. And nobody waits to help the New York Yankees. So get some bats. Be careful in the starter market. And we'll see you on Thursday. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.